Hello and welcome to What Do You Like with Maria and... Hello, this is Hunter, the editor slash co-host slash lovely adoring husband of Maria. Yes. <laughs> and the father of Winter, who is a rabbit who has decided that she needs to be a part of this recording. Oh, bunny. Are you oh. going to say anything? Oh, wait. Rabbits can't talk. I mean, they can, but not... They shouldn't talk. They shouldn't talk. <laughs> That's not me being, like, racist towards rabbits. They just, they make horrible screaming noises. Anyway. anyway so today's subject is cooking. Uh, we kind of touched on it in our second episode when we, when we uh, had our friend Hannah on, but she was mainly focused on baking. And now this is the, like, the more general discussion of putting ingredients together and making food. Yeah. Also, I didn't get a chance to talk about cooking, and I really, really enjoy cooking. Between Maria and I, I do... 90%. Yeah, 90% of the cooking, and I just really enjoy doing it. I would do the cooking more if he didn't like it, but he just enjoys it. So my main job is, if necessary, putting dishes away, which even then... Your main job is come up with ideas for things to me to cook, or and things that you would like to eat, or things that you would like to try cooking. Or, and as well as help with cleanup at times, but different uh, hobbies. Exactly. And I would say I tend to have more time in the evenings and afternoons so I can plan stuff out. And I would say that's one of the big things that I like about cooking is being able to look ahead and plan stuff out and say, okay, well, I'm going to have these four things and I need to make them in the next two days. How do I fit all of this together into some sort of coherent-ish meal? Like, I have this turkey that needs to be cooked tomorrow and all of my pantry staples. What works? I just, I like that little puzzle. And I do similar things because I work in, um, I work in a lab and my job requires similar puzzling. So when I come home, that's not what I want to do. <laughs> yeah. Lab work and cooking are more similar than they would appear at first blush, I think. From what Maria has described, and I don't want to put words into her mouth, so she'll jump in and correct me if she needs to. But both of them are, here is something you need to output. Here is how you make that output. Yep. And one of the big differences for cooking is, here's my output, here's a recipe, but that recipe doesn't necessarily fit with how I would make something or how I want to approach it. So I'm going to take this as the starting point and just kind of go, yeah, we'll figure it out from there. I would say mostly, but sometimes, like, so the end goal with the lab work that I do is you should have everything. It should all work. Nine times out of ten, it doesn't. Of the experiments that I run, very rarely have I ever done one from beginning to end without a hitch. And when it does work without a hitch, I get very paranoid because it sh I am expecting something to go wrong. Also, you can't eat Maria's experience. No, I wouldn't recommend it. You shouldn't eat Maria's experiments. I really... No, you can't lick biochemistry. I mean, you can you once. Can. <laughs> you can once. I wouldn't recommend it, and you'd have a lot of very angry people with acid. Yes. <laughs> anyway, that is kind of where the distinction... Like, there is a lot of similarities. And in fact, in the sciences career sciences, if you're not in academia or in research mostly, you have to follow what is known as good manufacturing practices or GMP. And the idea is it is a code created to make sure that everyone can do ex the exact same thing and be able to recreate what someone else has done. Academics, as far as my limited experience, don't do this as much everyone has their own way of documenting and it can get very complicated because they're not expecting someone else to be able to you know take their notes and recreate their work mostly to like look at their papers instead but in um industry work that's not the case so my coworker, you know said if you need more experience for this i would recommend find a recipe go home make it line for line do it exactly as it says. 
And so, you know, I, I did a little bit of that. That is my, that is how cooking and what I do kind of intertwine. Whereas that is not how cooking, I think, is in general. It is a good practice for if you need to do manufacturing GMP work, but that's not what you do, dear. Yeah, and I think there's a distinction there between the cooking that I do of home cooking versus cooking in a restaurant or cooking at scale. Like, cooking for thousands of people is very different than cooking for two. I mean, heck, cooking for two is very different than cooking for four. Even cooking for one is harder than cooking for two. Because, like, two, you can, you can go through enough stuff. You just have to be careful with what you buy. With one, in, it's harder to make enough food that you'll go through before it goes bad without it being, I'm eating the same thing all week and I can cook two meals a week before I run out of space in my fridge. But that's also a me problem because I'm used to cooking in the Midwest style, aka make a comical amount and then be like, wait, what do you mean you can't eat anymore? This is a reasonable amount of food. And then you look at it and go, I've made uh, 12 pasties. This has roughly eight pounds of food. Whoops. <laughs> it's so much food. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's really good, though. Our active, with uh, how active we are, we can usually eat more than typical. I would argue because we are so active, we can eat more. And when we, neither of us are as active, that becomes a problem very quickly. Oh, yeah, which is why we have to maintain that active, because we both like eating good food. Yes, we both have a pretty broad eclectic sense of tastes and we'll try a lot of different things at least once and I would say I'm not a super adventurous cook but I am willing to stretch more than most like I would say I have a standard rota of about 10 to 15 meals but that standard rota is pretty broad if I may suggest it there's the stir fries that you'll do. Rice and beans is pretty standard because you can add a lot of stuff to that. Um, it's rice, beans, and then all of the extra fixings that make it really good. Yeah, I would say stir fry, rice and beans, pasta with some sort of protein, usually meatballs, eggs with something, uh, some sort of stew. <laughs> I recognize that of those five things I've just described, approximately, oh, 75% of all food everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> like, stir-fried, it's like, that does not narrow this down in any way. But, I mean, at the same time, it is kind of an interesting idea how stir-fry is Asian cuisine. Rice and beans tends to be more uh, South American um, or, you know, Southern Central America. More, and then we have like USA kind of standard stuff. And it's all, and one of the other ones is um, curry. The What's the oh. tikka masala? The, yes. The tikka masala, which is, it's British. Yes. <laughs> but it's, it's by way of India. <laughs> yeah. So we actually do have like, it's probably a lot of, you know, general cuisine around. And, but at the same time, it's all stuff that can be made pretty easily yeah a lot of the stuff that i'm making is not necessarily hard so much as the ingredients are not as immediately available so that's one of the things living where we are so we're in madison wisconsin which means every once in a while we'll get i'll find a recipe and be like oh that's a cool thing to make and they'll rattle off you know four different ingredients that are commonly available in a large city that just aren't available here one of the ones that I'm actually super annoyed about, I'm gonna put on my angry hat, my local grocery store stopped carrying Japanese curry blocks. And that annoys me <laughs> so much because I really like Japanese curry. I mean, I really like curry. I'm just not great at it, but Japanese curry is just effectively beef stew with more flavor, yeah. for lack of a better word. And I can make something sort of similar at home but then I have to find the curry powder and that's a little bit challenging and then I have to make a roux and that's not hard but it's time consuming or I can spend you know five dollars and get curry blocks and it's great anyway that's the end of that rant yeah I would say I have a more international inspired palette than 
some of my friends. Not all of them. I have we have pretty international. Mm-hmm. We have international friends, sort of. It's a weird combination. I also will say, none of what I make is authentically whatever it's from. It is filtered through the lens of my experiences and what I can get here. A so, Midwest white man. Yes, extremely Midwestern, <laughs> extremely white. So, like, when I say Asian-inspired, it is very much the Asian, but also not even a little bit. Like, I'll take some of the things that are vaguely inspired by that. I mean, it's not like you have never been outside of the United States. You lived in Taiwan for three years. Your parents still live there. Like, the food there is incredible. Even, like, the dumpling kiosk that we went to is insane. You have, and so you have that palette background, I suppose, and knowing, like, this is the options that are there. And I feel like... For some people, because the way you started cooking was you were in college, you and one of your roommates realized it was cheaper to cook in bulk even because you didn't really need much in the grand scheme of things. And rather than living off of bagels and pasta, you could make a meal, have it last for a period of time, and it was better than living off of Kraft mac and cheese. So my senior year, so I, okay, I guess I should talk through my sort of cooking experience because I think that's a that's interesting. I also feel like it is how a lot of people who do cook regularly get yeah. started. So like I've always been interested in cooking. Like growing up, one of my favorite shows was Good Eats because that's about when I was able to start watching TV and like figure out what was going on. So like the science of food is something that I find endlessly fascinating. Like. How does this actually work? I can remember when we went down to Florida, we had taped a bunch of episodes of just random shows off Food Network and just played those on a VHS on repeat on a little portable TV strapped to the back seat of the van that we were driving. It was great. It was probably safe enough. I, I wouldn't mean, worry about that's it. How, that's how we travel too. Yeah, it's great. Always enjoyed cooking, always had cooking around did some cooking in high school, but not a lot. Again, was overseas for three years in high school, which meant that we weren't cooking as much there as we are now. Like, I would say we we eat at restaurants probably once a week, if that, potentially less. Yeah. In Taiwan, we would eat at restaurants probably three or four times a week, just because that made way more sense with the way everything is structured and living in a city it's harder to grow do a big grocery shopping trip to cook you know three days worth of food at once it's hard to do that but uh lived on campus for a year in college then moved off campus and realized i needed to be able to cook for myself for my sophomore year and my junior year and my roommates and i kind of came to an agreement where we're all just going to kind of do our own thing use the kitchen clean up after yourselves whatever But as Maria mentioned, my senior year, one of my roommates had graduated and was just taking grad courses, but had an actual job, so needed a car and needed to do all this. And through uh, sort of both of us trying to be in the kitchen cooking at the same time, we realized we should just cook together. And it ended up turning into we would cook, it was basically every other day. Or it was like Monday he would take he would make dinner. Tuesday was tech pizza. Wednesday, I would make dinner. Thursday, I think was usually one of our other roommates would make something or we were just kind of on our own. And then I would, then we'd have like a pasta dinner on Friday. And then it was like, we'd each make a meal per week, usually do something bigger over the weekend. I mean, it's better than how I lived, which was all seniors living in an apartment and like one grad student who bopped back and forth between Boston and Worcester to take classes. So he lived on a mattress that we had pushed into a corner. And the place was lovingly called Hell House. And no rhyme or reason to it. And I felt really bad for the one underclassman who lived with us because he was like, this is disgusting. Because no one had, everyone was like cooking, putting dishes aside, and then diving right back into work and just 
clawing their way to the finish. I totally forgot. I was the only underclassman my senior year in that house. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. And, you know, your roommate who was taking grad classes and had a job was also mine for a year later. And I don't know how he got through that because our place was a total mess. Yeah. So it did that my senior year. And it meant that he, because he was coming from new york in a sort of a slightly different background it meant that we could compare notes and basically be like oh i do it this way oh that's that's an interesting way to do it i never tried that this is how i do it so i got to see sort of two different sides of it and then moved out back out to wisconsin was living on my own for a year and then maria moved out about a year later and by that point i was i would say an enthusiastic if somewhat sketchily competent cook and then basically just kind of gotten into the rhythm of making food basically most days since about 2017 so about five or six years at this point and then progressively just trying different things watching um, different videos about food basically going that looks good i can make that or that looks complicated and then watching somebody make it and go that's not that complicated and it looks super impressive i'm thinking specifically of the lion's head meatballs that i made for our DD group once oh god those are those are so rich those are so good so this is a recipe from chinese cooking demystified which i really enjoy because they kind of come at cooking in a similar way to the way that i like to think i come at cooking where they sort of take take a dish and be like, this is a tasty version of it. This is the history of that dish. This is how you can make it work. And they'll also do, they do a great job at being like, this is the random ingredient that you can't find in a Western supermarket. This is something that will be maybe not the same, but will hit some of the same notes. But it's just like really large, soft meatballs with pork and, uh, oyster sauce and sugar and soy sauce and like all these different things that are definitely the this is an asian style meatball also they highly recommend basically chopping your own meat and then stirring it because that changes the texture of it so they're super bouncy not bouncy and they're not like a rubber ball like they just kind of fall apart but they hold together um until you cut it with a chopstick and it was really tasty and it took a long time and was a massive pain to put it all together. And then we served them and people were on the, this is delicious and I can eat about one of these because, oh my God, it's like 40% fat. Yep. <laughs> it was so rich. It was very rich. And I mean, it brings into a thing is cooking for others. And our D&D group consists of three other people and one of the, and two of those people they're another couple and they also love to cook the warlock of our group so to speak yeah. is also a huge like very much into cooking and his wife will occasionally will occasionally help but it is clear when they sometimes when they bring a dish it's like i've worked all day on this and he's very proud of it and bringing those meals together and with friends or family is truly like what makes preparing food something special yeah and i think culturally what you make and what you bring says not necessarily a lot but shows like hey this is something that i really enjoy i'd like to share that with other people it's very similar to this podcast. Hey, we enjoy this thing. We'd like to share it with other people. Yeah. So Seeing do, it as November. Seeing like, it as November, we're very thankful that we have good friends who are willing to put up with me making something that maybe didn't quite work the way I thought it would. I mean, the, some of the meals that you've put down for us. Would, I've only made, I think, two or three meals that were totally inedible. Um, and just for us, not for our yes. friends. I have not made anything that was inedible for our friends. I've made one or two things that didn't work for our friends that people happily ate, but we took home the leftovers from. Mm. I'm trying to think of what the biggest disaster... Oh, I can. It was, you made, um, you wanted to do, I think for like St. Patrick's Day, Yeah. cabbage and roast and uh, beef. Yes, I made cabbage and corned beef. Corned beef. And that was fine. The leftovers 
where I tried to mix it with an egg did not work. No, it I was real bad. It. I couldn't finish it. And I think one other thing was you cooked something with like a really strong cheese and it tastes good. It did taste good. It's just we were watching something because oh, we normally right. will watch something when we eat and there was some really gross joke and the cheese smell was so strong that I could not finish it because it was just like everything all combined. I just was like, I need to get up and leave. It was like gnocchi and mozzarella. There was, there was something in there where I'd, I messed up. It was like gnocchi, mozzarella, and like mushrooms, I think. Uh, I think it was a breakfast bowl of some sort. Like, it was pasta with really strong cheese. Oh, that's right. I forgot that I had made that. Yeah, it was a car- It was a carbonara. I'm making air quotes at the uh, microphone. Yeah, because it it's lightly cooked egg, aka slightly scrambled egg, with yeah. pasta, because I'm not very good at making carbonara. Because it was like oh. breakfast pasta or something yes. like that. I forgot about that. Yeah, and that didn't work. <laughs> it didn't work. It was okay. Like, we've definitely had things where it's like, I can have one helping of this. And it's good. And I don't need any more. That was, yeah, that was the only time I had to actually, like, leave the table. Because I was like, just the, the atmosphere... The surroundings and the smell was just not conducive. Yeah, it's a basically just a breakfast carbonara. Yeah. At least the way I, when I've made it, it doesn't quite work. Just breakfast sausage and carbonara with pasta should work and just doesn't quite come together. Yeah, and I and I normally have a, a pretty strong stomach. Like I used to watch Criminal Minds <laughs> while eating, and my dad hated it. <laughs> He's like, how the hell could you eat and watch this shit? And I was, it's like, I don't know. And yeah, that, that it was because he never made something that had that strong of a cheese in it. Yeah. And I think I had, I'd picked up a different kind of cheese and like freshly shredded it. And it was, it was a couple of things that I'd gone through. It's also that it has a little bit of, uh, orange zest. And I'm just, I think I may have burned that slightly. Mm. There was something else to it where I was like, this did not work. I haven't made that for probably five or six years. And we're good. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't need to be added yeah. back to the rota. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, those are the, I'd say in the seven years that we have lived together out here. Yeah. Those are the only two like truly really bad ones and one of those was technically just leftovers i would say corned beef and potatoes i just i've still not quite figured out like they taste good but we never go through the leftovers and they're just texturally there's something off with them yeah it's also like go i bring leftovers to work and it's hard to bring like soup yes to work it's hard to eat soup at your desk (laughs) oh i've made a couple cauliflower soups that are fine sub fine they're They're okay they're functional but they're really unexciting (laughs) there's not there's just not enough to them i'm not a huge fan of cauliflower yeah what i haven't made for a while and what i should make i should make the uh broccoli heroes again oh yeah because i haven't made that for probably four or five years yeah of the like cookbooks that we have and i guess the chefs that share recipes which ones do you think are the easiest for people? Like, I know you suggested the uh, Dad's Own Cookbook, but I'm thinking more like Alton Brown, Kenji Lopez-Alt. J. Kenji Lopez-Alt. Okay, I'm going to give a couple different recommendations. If you are a brand new cook, like you have been in a kitchen but have no background, Dad's Own Cookbook is a really good cookbook. It's, I think, much more... American focused. It's a lot more of a, hey, how do I make this random thing? They have a really good recipe on like twice baked potatoes or the pan roasted new potatoes. That's quite good. That's like brand new, your first cookbook. There's a couple other ones that are out there. Basically find something that looks good, but you want to have one base cookbook that is very simple and very straightforward and is as descriptive as possible without being overwhelming. Once you're to the point where you're like, yeah, I like cooking, 
Alton Brown's cookbooks are solid, but the shows are a little bit better. Like, I think his cookbooks are good. Everyday Cook is solid, but every once in a while I'll have something that is just an odd way of doing it. Yeah, like he... Chai tea in general is just like a weird thing to want to make. Yes. And I mean, I tried his recipe for it because I was like, oh, I like chai tea. We still, we have a bunch of random spices now that we will never use. <laughs> yeah, that's, and that's one of the biggest things with something like chai tea or tikka masala is getting all the spices and then realizing this is only used in one dish. That's where I'll look online for stuff and be like, hey, I have this thing. What can I do with it? And that's where I think curries are really useful and really interesting because you can throw not whatever, but you can throw a lot of different things that you don't think would necessarily go in a savory dish in a curry and it will work because there's enough other stuff going on that it kind of smooths it out. Once you are like, yes, I really like cooking and I want to know all about how it works. I really like The Food Lab by J. Kenji Lopez-Alt, which does look like a textbook. It's less intimidating than it looks. It's a tome. Yeah, it's almost 900 pages long. But you could use it as a doorstop. Yeah, it's basically the how does food work scientifically. And it benefits from being after Good Eats kind of had the first step in this, where it can be the second step. One of the other books that I've heard good things about but have never found is Harold McGee on food and cooking. I think that's what it's called. Something like that, where that does a lot of the same things. You'll notice a theme with a lot of the cooks that I'm following. They're a lot more on the science side of things of like, how does all of this work? The Joy of Cooking, also an amazing cookbook. Yeah. My dad was a single dad for all of my childhood, so... He bought a house and he wasn't, he had to cook for me as well as him. And, you know, he could live on not as great food, but, you know, when you have a growing kid, you got to provide. And I was a picky eater for some of it. Like, I remember the first few dishes he made when he first bought the house he lives in now. It was just, I don't want to eat it. And he was just, how do I get this kid to eat? So he had to learn how to cook. And I think it also for himself as well, really fast. And when I say single dad, I mean, my parents were divorced. I split my time evenly. So when I visited my dad, he was figuring it out as we went along, I guess. And he's a fantastic cook. Yeah. He learned from Ginny's Kitchen on PBS. Yep. Uh, He's got Julia Child's book. He's got quite a few of those sort of like uh, older cookbooks that are just like those family recipes that you remember your grandparents making. And that's kind of where he he has that, but he's also very health oriented. So he's mixing, you know, the salads and like he adds a lot of vegetables to those recipes as well and puts his own spin on it. Well, and I think that's one of the really interesting things is the past, you know, 40 years, food and how the relationship of people to food has really shifted, at least in the US. I can't speak for the rest of the world, but like my parents have talked about growing up and being like, yeah, yogurt is not a thing. That's a thing that's way more recent. Even some of the older cookbooks, you'll, they'll list off something and it's like, I don't know what that is because it's just not in the zeitgeist. It's not something that gets oh, made. The gelatin molds. Yeah. That's why you'll see in the like 1950s that was, there were like, hey, try all these different things with jello. Because that was the first time you had access to easy gelatin. And mayonnaise. Mayonnaise as well. Like, there's a lot of stuff that it's a, (laughs) hey, we now have this thing. What do I do with it? The first thought that comes to mind was uh, in Edward Scissorhands. It's a satire of uh, suburbia. And when all the ladies are meeting Edward for the first time, this one woman pulls out what she calls the ambrosia salad. And it is just, it's pink and it's just covered in mayonnaise. And that's like the kind of food that I'm thinking about like for early on where it was just like, mayonnaise went in everything. 
if it's truly ambrosia salad and it is made by somebody who spent any time in the Midwest, I actually might know what's in that because I have a fondness for an ambrosia salad because it's not mayonnaise, it's Cool Whip. Oh, girl, that... No, it's like, it's, or like whipped cream. Oh, okay. Because it's, it's a sweet, really sweet fruit salad. I or thought least... it was something like coleslaw. Like... No. Like purple cabbage with like a lot of mayonnaise. Oh. That's what it looked like to me. I don't know. I didn't know what ambrosia salad was. I never, I grew up, I didn't grow up on those things. I yes. grew up on coleslaws. Yes. And you can make good coleslaw. But, like, ambrosia salad is a thing that was made and is still made in the upper Midwest. Like, hot dish is still a thing that's huge in Minnesota. But ambrosia salad is canned fruit medley, mini marshmallows, and then whatever other fruit you can throw in there, maybe a little whipped cream. It's delicious. A little whipped cream. Or a lot of whipped cream. It looked like there was a lot of... It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's very sweet. It's very, very sweet. You can make a fruit salad that is really tasty. You don't need all the mini marshmallows and whipped cream. I just really like them because sugar. Yeah, you know, it's fruit salad, therefore it's healthy. Yeah. There are two songs by Australian musicians about fruit salad, which is weird, but that's, you know, Australia. You I mean, do you. I mean, I guess, yeah, they, they are musicians. No, it's, it's the Wiggles I and know. Tom Cardi. I know the Wiggles, and I was like, the Wiggles are musicians, I guess. No, they... They are. They yeah. write their they write songs. There's a niche. It has yeah. to be filled. <laughs> uh, anyway, another fun video series slash creator is you suck at cooking, mm. which is not something I would necessarily learn from so much as I would say is a way to learn what not to do. Don't you we use his um, ramen recipe? No. Okay. <laughs> no, we use his mug cake recipe. Right, we use his mug cake recipe. As well as a couple of his coleslaw recipes with some adjustments because I have a rough idea of how to make it. And a couple other things. Because behind all of the weird editing and just bizarre things and also calling the oven the onion because it's funny because he misset it once... He actually has a pretty good eye and a pretty good feel for this is how something would work. And, you know, you can fake it and mess up with it and just kind of roll with it. That works. Yeah, I mean, it is very amusing. It's just, it is indeed like a what not to do, except for his mug cakes. Mm -hmm. Well, and mug cakes are also one of those things that's also great because even if you make one that's, you know, only okay... They're still pretty good. It's still cake mix in a mug. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all the things you like about cake. <laughs> yeah. and Oh, that's right. It's We use sort of a combination of his mug brownie recipe and Alton Brown's mug cake recipe. But I don't love Alton Brown's mug cake recipe because it's a little bit too complicated yeah, like, for a mug cake. For, for a mug cake, it's something that you've had dinner. There's nothing really much, but you have like baking stuff and, you're, and ch maybe like chocolate of some sort. And you just throw it all together and put it in. And Alton Brown's just, it's a little too much. It is one where if I had all of the ingredients around and was going to make something at the mug cake level, I would just go make a cake. It trends too far into the, well, if I'm doing all of this prep and all of this work, I'm just gonna make an actual cake because that's going to work better. Yeah. And there's there are a couple things like that. Also, I don't do a lot of baking because I tend to find baked goods that come out of a factory are good enough and I don't usually need more like a good bakery will make a good loaf of bread i'm not going to be able to make a better loaf of bread or i'm going to have to take so much time to make a better loaf of bread that i can just pay somebody else to be an expert on it and just do that yeah i mean your grandfather has gone into a rabbit hole of trying to make the perfect loaf of bread and you know if that's what they want to dedicate their time to go for it go nuts but it is quite a deep rabbit hole and it's a lot of prep work and I can understand why you wouldn't want to dedicate so much time to that. Yeah, it's good bread, but I don't find it transcendent enough to find it's really good. Like, it's not a transcendental experience. I really enjoy cooking and I guess my biggest takeaway from all of this is 
mess around, try something different. Eventually, it's just food. Like, and I know that's a position of privilege to be in, to say it's just food, whatever, you can deal with it. But if you can get to a spot where you can make something that's at least okay, you can start figuring out why it's only okay rather than really good and start picking out the, oh, this is tasty because I did this. Oh, I didn't cook this enough, which means that it's a little bit soggy, which means texturally it's not great. If it's something that you want to like further deep dive into, because I can also understand the idea of food gives me such sustenance. I eat food so I can continue to move, but taste-wise, I am indifferent. And I can understand that as well because there were definitely moments in my life, as short as it's been so far, where it was just like, give me the calories I need to continue moving forward. And that's also totally valid. I really enjoy cooking, so I'm going to be an evangelist for it. I'm going to recommend try cooking. If you're in a spot where food is tight or there's something like that, make something that you know what to do, make it as good as you can, get past that, get to where you can. I guess my final story is one that I really enjoy thinking through, is Maria one day requested that I make stuffed cabbage. I had never had or really made stuffed cabbage before, so I kind of went, okay, uh, if you write down the recipe, I can try it. As a background, stuffed cabbage was a dish that my mom made. To me, it's one of those things like my grandmother putting chunks of tuna in pasta. If I describe it, people go, I guess, but if you grow up with it, it's to me the ultimate comfort food. Yeah. I asked Maria to write down the recipe. She did. She went through the whole effort of writing it down. So thank you so much for that. Because yeah. I do appreciate that. I made it the first time about 45 minutes after I started. I was grumbling about it because it was taking me forever. And about an hour after I said it would be ready, I finally had it out of the oven. And it was fine. It wasn't amazing. The flavors just weren't quite right. I had realized I had forgotten to pick up canned tomato sauce, so I, used, I just made like a homemade tomato sauce, and it just didn't come together quite right. And I was like, oh, that was disappointing, but Maria was happy with it. Yeah. I, I've, every time you've made it from the first time, I've always loved it. Yeah. So then the next time I came back, because she asked again, and I went, okay, okay, let's get all the ingredients. Let's get everything together. Let's start going through and actually follow it slightly more closely. Okay, well, we're boiling the cabbage to make the leaves more tender. Fine, that makes sense. We're adding red wine vinegar and sugar to deglaze the pan. Okay, this all makes sense. Next time I made it, it's like, okay, this turned out better, but it's still missing something. Well, I'm just making a red sauce. Let's add some oregano and basil because that's what I grew up with, adding oregano and basil to tomato sauces. Okay, this now works. Wrapping this mixture in cabbage leaves is really annoying. Do I have to do that? No, let's try it just sh with shredded cabbage. And that's the point where I realized I'm making a lasagna with cabbage instead of pasta and without any cheese. Oh, I can do that. That makes sense. And then I had the second thought of why are we adding rice to all this raw meat? Oh, I'm making meatballs because meatballs and lasagna, if you deconstruct them, they're the same concept put together. It was one of those things that I really enjoyed that experience of why, wait, why is it set up this way? Oh, because I'm doing these things because it comes from this other place. And if I do that, if I add pepper flakes early, I can get that infused into the oil and go through all of that. It was one that I really enjoyed the experience of figuring out why something was set up the way that it is, mainly by going down the wrong road every way. Well, to be fair, one of my favorite dishes that my dad would make was what we called lemon chicken. My dad's never written it down. I like lemon, I like chicken, and he will throw broccoli in with it. It's different every time. Yeah. <laughs> and like... I say, I bring my data because it's just, you and him had a similar experience. My, the women of my family are all cooking gods, hands down. 
you know, the people in your family who cook regularly are probably, they've got a plethora of recipes and that have been passed down. Maybe some of them never written before, but it all holds special memories, your childhood and growing up. And it includes their memories of their own childhood because my mom learned a lot of those recipes from my grandmother who learned it from her great grandmother. And then my mom's also adapted those recipes into her own style. I mean, it's the same with my dad to an extent. One of his like crowning glories that he'll do is every Christmas he does a pasta dinner from scratch made with, you know, those good cuts of meat, making homemade meatballs from the Italian deli with the like good spices. It's the thing that like he'll make that if he really wants to impress. Yeah, it's incredibly good. It's really, really well done. And I think that's kind of the long and short of it is sometimes get really nice ingredients, they'll treat you right. Sometimes you don't need them. And half of cooking is figuring out when you can make those substitutions and make those swaps. If you hand make everything, that's not a bad thing. That's usually quite good. It's just time consuming. And if you have the time and are willing to, it's probably going to turn out really, really nice. Yeah, making the homemade noodles is a very complicated... Not complicated, but it is time-consuming. Homemade noodles are really challenging, and they are delicious, and they're great. But it is just finicky enough that it's not something that I ever did growing up, so it's not something that I've come back to. But I will also make homemade pizza, like... All the dough, all of the sauce. I won't make my own cheese because that's really hard. Also, we live in Wisconsin and there are literally hundreds of people who are better at making cheese than I am. Yeah. This has been sort of a rambling, kind of bouncing around sort of thing. I thought it was fun. It's definitely a sort of a trip down memory lane with our own, how we grew up around food and our experiences together with uh, your cooking. uh, Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you've made delicious food. You made meringue. I did. And I've only, and I made them again for work and they got better. Yes. Your meringues are good because meringue is incredibly difficult. It is. really finicky. Actually, the story of why meringues for me is something that I always want to make and improve on started in high school. Because when I had my boyfriend in high school... I wanted to cook something for him. I wanted to make cookies. And so I opened one of my dad's cookbooks, you know, like one of those big cookbooks. You can think about it, like tiny, tiny font size and no space between the lines and it's dense recipes. And I was looking through the cookies and one of them was like chocolate meringues. And I was like, yeah, I could make that. I couldn't make it. Not with a fork to stir the eggs, to beat the eggs until they worked. So I beat them as much as I could until I was like, that's probably fine. And then it was like, now just pour them onto a, <laughs> onto a cookie onto tray, a tray, onto a sheet tray. And it was like, that's disgusting. And I said, dad, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why these aren't working. He's like, well, you know, they need to be thickened up. He had no idea what I was doing either. And he's like, just add flour, flour, <laughs> flour will Make thicken it, it up. <laughs> so yeah, I baked like hockey puck discs of roux. Yeah. <laughs> and, and those were immediately tossed out. And then I used the pre-made cookie dough and that was fine. Yes. But yeah, that's why I make meringues now because I have since learned from that. And every time I make them, I get a little better, but it's kind of, it's not almost like a vendetta. <laughs> no, it's proving to yourself that you can do it. I can do it. And yeah. it was also like, it's one of those things where it was a challenge. I didn't know what I was doing. Now I know what I've been doing, what I should do. I've learned from it. I've watched so many Bake Off episodes where they've made meringues. And every time I've watched it, it always looks so good. That is one of my go-tos. And of course, it is very hard to make. <laughs> yeah, it's very impressive looking and it is hard to make so it is impressive all around i don't know that i have a go-to i need to impress Your homemade people. pizza homemade pizza is the big one because that one is not that hard no. genuinely it's a lot easier than it looks the hardest part is just making sure your dough isn't just super dense and chewy which i don't mind but i've definitely made it and been like this is hearty pizza i can have a slice of this yeah 
but, but it is real good. When you when we have like a group gathering with no real like if it's not potluck and you have the time, you'll bake a pizza. Yeah. Make well, a pizza. I'll make pizzas usually. You make pizzas and everyone absolutely loves it. And there was that. The Lion's Head Meatballs was a... That was a big one. That was a hit. That was a hit. And it was like a test yes. as well. And I think... And if you really get into cooking, I recommend this because it's fun. Do a mystery box dinner with friends, which is everyone will randomly select a ingredient and then make recipes out of those ingredients. Yeah. And it usually works. <laughs> we have done that once. We haven't done that for a long, long time. We've and been I want to, to do, do it, it again. Yeah. And I made it a lot easier on myself because I, I was the one who was doing most of the cooking. And basically it was like, all right, I'm giving myself 24 hours to actually figure this out. When I did it, our ingredients were cereal, two different kinds of veggies. It was like carrots and like something and like corn or something. Yeah rice and something else it might have been fish sauce it might have been i do you made a you made a uh fruit salad with marshmallows yep a fruit salad with marshmallow i made an apple cr or like a berry crumble with marshmallows and cereal as like the topping so i crushed up cereal and made that as like a crumble i made a stir fry with the veggies and egg and like something else and then made Napoleon's, sort of, because I, I think puff pastry was one, the one that I'm not remembering. Mm -hmm. And all of that mostly worked. The crumble was only okay. It was basically just baked fruit with a bit of not super crunchy, like, Cheerios on top, which isn't bad. <laughs> no. Like, let's be clear, that's still pretty good. There were no complaints. Yeah, the stir-fry was a competent stir-fry with a couple odd choices. The fish sauce, I, I've not worked with fish sauce enough to know how to use it, so it was just enough that you could get the smell of it, but not the flavor, which is kind of the opposite of what you want. <laughs> I did not enjoy the stir-fry as much as other people did. I will say it's nice that you didn't do what used to happen at my house, which we had spicy uh, sesame oil, and people would forget that it was spicy. Yes. And so then they would basically mace the house by trying to use it as regular oil. <laughs> I've, I have done that. I've only made something that was inedibly spicy, I think, once. And even that was, it was right on the edge of too spicy. I think I made a, was it just a stir fry? Or was it was it? pad thai. It's right. It was pad thai. As it turns out, serranos are great. But if you're cooking with them like they're jalapenos and you don't have the spice tolerance for that... Don't do that. Oh my God. <laughs> it was very tasty, but it was right on. It was running up and a little bit past what was too spicy. I think like the spiciest experience I've had higher than that was when I was in Costa Rica and there was like a Chinese food place nearby where I would stay. And they had a literally just oil and seeds of chilies like the hottest chilies they could find and that was what you had and you added just a couple scoops and one day I, i'd eaten my meal and i had a whole bunch of rice and i put in way too many scoops and i also had no other food before we had to get on the plane so i ate it because i was hungry and i literally singed all of the taste buds and feeling out of my mouth for the rest of the day. That's like the peak spice I've experienced, and then your your Serrano. <laughs> Which, I mean, it was, it was good. <laughs> it, if that's the second hottest thing, that means I didn't actually screw it up as bad. It was hot enough. I was not enjoying it as much. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't destroy my taste buds for a yes. day. Yeah. I was the, able to taste things. Yeah. We don't make a lot of spicy food, and that's mainly because just spicy food is not as big of a thing up here. Yeah, but I, I add hot sauce to everything. You do. You you moderate it, I think. I it's... don't do what my friend says his family does, which he's Indian, and he told me that spices, spiciness separates the men from the gods. He was one of my friends when we, I was studied abroad in Costa Rica, and he said his mom loves hot sauce. I was like, why don't you get her some hot sauce from Costa Rica? He's like, no, there's too much flavor, and it's not enough spice. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, and out, at least Midwestern, there just isn't as much with the spices. And part of that is, you know, historical reasons. 
we're not that close to really anything. No. <laughs> like, peppers don't really grow here, and we're going into the section of the year where nothing grows here for about three months. I kind of am curious, because we have a big Hmong population, to yes. know that there's what they're like cooking is like, because we haven't really looked too much into it. And there is a Hmong grocery store right down the road from yes. us. Yes. And that I think there is, and I guess I'll put a slight asterisk to like, there's not a lot of spicy spiciness. That is historically, that has shifted pretty dramatically in the past, you know, 30 years. Yeah. Again, 30 years is a long time with regards to like food and how it's developed. My understanding is that the Hmong people, when they came here, adapted relatively quickly and had mostly Southeast Asian largely that was the inspiration for a lot of their food from my understanding massive grain of salt oh yeah we have not researched that at all (laughs) that's my understanding of where they were from and sort of the timeline of where it was coming from that's probably something that's endlessly fascinating and i don't feel confident in going into that detail but it is something that i would like to learn more about but this episode has gone slightly longer than we intended Intended. because we really enjoy talking about food and cooking and memories and stories and all of that stuff. I mean, that is food, isn't it? Food is a reflection of different stories. And because everyone needs to eat, most people have some sort of story with, hey, this one time with these people, I had this great meal. And it's not really about the meal. It's about all the people you get to hang out with. On that note... Happy Thanksgiving. This is coming out a little bit after Thanksgiving, but we're recording this the day after Thanksgiving. So We hope you had a lovely Thanksgiving with lovely people. Yeah. See you soon. See you soon. See you for the next episode. Goodbye. Bye. We're both waving, which you can't see. <laughs>